Southern Vanguard Radio. This is DJ John Doe. And to the left of me is my man. Cappuccino Toast Crunch. <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah, homie. Toasted. I'm, toasted. I'm, I'm burnt, homie. Bro, he walked in tonight, too, looking like he uh, had just, uh, I don't know, a deer in headlights, maybe? That's kind of what you look like a little bit. Look here, man. The life of a volleyball dad is not to be taken lightly, especially especially when your daughter is 14 and six feet tall and kind, pretty, kind of dope on the volleyball. Pretty damn good at it, right? Yeah. You're you going to be in that motherfucker all day, I promise you. Yo, this guy rolls in. This guy rolls in. He's like, oh. I've been up since 5 a.m. <laughs> both nights in a row, or both mornings in a row. Yeah, I I've had been no eating. weekend. What did you say you were eating? I was a, a halo <laughs> peanut butter cracker eating some of my bitch this weekend. <laughs> I don't care if I ever see another halo. If I see a bag of halos right now, I will, I, I don't know what I'd do to it. I won't eat them. But goddamn it, they'll get the fuck away from me. And and peanut butter is an enemy of mine right now. Oh, rough weekend. That's what, that's what happens at those. Uh, that's what happens at those uh, sport, those all day sporting events. Well, yeah, kids, man, because they're not they're not supposed to eat like real heavy meals. You know right, what I'm you're saying? So the whole time. And then I'm the team dad, and and oh. and, and unbeknownst, if that's a word to me, it, it is. Yeah. that yeah. Never in the history of volleyballdom has there ever been a team dad. <laughs> so I'm I'm showing my ass. I'm showing up with snack bags for the kids that look like garbage bags. Like, like what up? Yeah, and let's you, eat. Let's and snack. You, and you get two of them, and they just be looking at me like, "What the fuck are we supposed to do with get, all this food, man?" <laughs> I got Gatorade and water and cheeses <laughs> and goldfish and 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 nuts and oh. and bananas and apples and it looked like a FOI bag they be selling on the street. I'm laying it down, son. I'm telling you, I'm setting the bar way up, man. Woo. How's your weekend? Homie? Oh, it was good. You know, I was I was in a little bit of that world on Saturday. Yeah. My son's uh, basketball season came to an end. Okay. On Saturday, so we're gonna get our Saturdays back ah, for a for a it. for a few short for a few short weeks. I'm sure it'll be, uh, you know, uh, somehow bogarted and taken up somehow by something else. Yeah. But the next four Saturdays, for the most part, are completely free. If you oh, can believe it or not, my yard is beat up right now. I gotta get oh, my fucking yard in shape. That. Yeah. Oh, it's bad, man. Yeah, so yeah. I, I mean, great season. Uh, he had a good time. They they had a tournament this Saturday. They didn't win, but yeah. it was okay. We had a ton of family in town. My youngest, Harry, was baptized actually on Sunday. That's so what's it, up. it's been a family extravaganza. Yeah. Uh, you know, and uh, I just let's just put it like this: I love my family to death, each and every one of them. But I'm glad it's Sunday night and we're here right now. Okay. Let's put it like that. Uh, that says it all. All right. So, anywho, that being said. Before we get down to business, if you're a, a fan of the person that we have on the phone tonight for this interview session. And we know you are. And we know you are. Otherwise, you're, you're probably not listening. No, we might might have caught a new one here there. No, nah, you're listening. And, anywho, uh, this is Southern Vanguard Radio. We drop twice a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Tuesdays is a brand new hip-hop mix show 
cut up by yours truly, sliced and diced on the wheels of steel like it should be, all new hip-hop. We rarely repeat a joint, which is kind of fucked up, uh, you know, in this day and age, but it's just the way it is right now. Right. So, uh, you know, today, what episode are we on this week, Meeks? 108? 108. Yeah, 108. Wow. So we've given you 108 mixtapes wow. in the past uh, two years, basically. So chew on that for a little bit. Ha! And, uh, you know, Meeks and I popping shit, drinking beer, drinking bourbon, having fun, just, you know, d- doing what we do. And then on Thursdays, we have an interview session. Could be an MC, a producer, A&R, behind the scenes, something or another. Sometimes they're over the phone. Sometimes folks are rolling through the A and they come by the lab. So yep. anyway, it's, it's an all-around good time. So yeah. make sure you go to SoundCloud, iTunes, uh, Podcast, MixCloud, Stitcher Radio, yeah. and share, like, follow, subscribe, all that good shit. And then we have some affiliates, Meeks, that yes. we're also, uh, uh, you can find us on. ATLHipHop.com, Return of the Boom Bap, WRBB Radio, both right here in Atlanta, Soul Public Radio on the West Coast, and I am Classic, RawRadio.net, also in Atlanta. There you go. And yeah. last week, we had OC yes, on a horror with us for an incredible interview. The week before that, we had OC, what up? Yeah, man. Yo, O, o was real cool this week, too, man. Cool he was pumping that shit like crazy. Yeah. Uh, Razzcast was the week before. I think yeah. the week prior to that, we had El Gant and J57 in studio. Anyway. And stick Figure. Oh, and Stick Figure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The week before that. So, anyway, it's, it's been a hell of a month, and we're going to continue to put stop. our Yeah, to put, to put, to put our foot uh, all the way through 2017. So, with yep. that. Yes. We're talking Smith & Wesson. We're mm. talking... AZ, we're talking mm. Nas, we're yeah. talking about, a, we're going to talk about a lot of shit right beat now, miners. because this guy right here, Beat Miners, this guy right here, man, first off, before we, before we really start this thing yeah. off, we got to give a big shout out to, to good friends and good friend of Southern Vanguard Radio, Tell the me. one and only Dr. Butcher, Butcher, what up, yeah, for making this happen tonight. Queens in yeah, the building man, Queens again. In the build- <laughs> Absolutely. Queens in the house. Seven train. Yeah, no, <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, man. So uh, peace to Butcher for uh, for making this connection happen. No doubt. Butcher and this guy have been friends for, for quite some time. And, you know, it's time to finally talk to this fellow. So yes. I, I'm personally very excited about this. And you should be. I'm a DJ. I'm a producer, self-proclaimed producer, beat maker, digger, all that shit. And, um, you know, uh, again, like OC and Razkaz the past couple of weeks, pretty much the sound soundtrack to high school and, and, and college no and beyond for me, right? No so, question. Anywho, without further ado, the one and only baby Paul. Whoa! Yeah. Yes, sir. I like I like that brother? I like that baby Paul McCartney shit. That shit is dope. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Yo, you know it's so funny. Only a couple people be catching that in my emails, man. It's like a little tag I put in my email. That's fly. You know how when you when you got your Gmail account, you can create your own. Oh like, yeah. Handle. Yeah. Yeah. So you know you know I I got this hashtag on my social media. If anybody follows me on social media, I, I strategically put a lot of content and reference. Two things in particular, and those two things are Legend Circle hmm. and No Culture Vultures. Okay. Yeah. Okay? Gotcha. Okay. So when I put the hashtag Legend Circle, it's usually a reference to my OG homies, like a lot of people you just mentioned, you know, the Dr. Butchers, the OCs, the Razzcasters, the Pharaoh Marches, the Main Sources, the list goes on, the AZs, the Nazis, you know what I'm saying? I call that my Legend Circle, okay. Consequence, you know, like. Cats who put in that work 
for many years in this game and deserve to be recognized as legends. No doubt. Because if we don't claim it, they ain't gonna give it to us. Yep, and and you know not I mean? only so, not only claim that you gotta let people sales. know. Yeah, this Would, has nothing to do with record sales. It has to do with art and integrity. You know what I'm saying? Correct. So absolutely. So so yeah. Paul, the, it's it's kind of interesting how the universe works. And Meeks and I, we we end up talking about this pretty much before every show because we're recapping what happened the week prior. But uh, it's kind of right. weird how the universe works because, and I think we were talking about this on text a little bit. I was so happy to hear you on the uh, the main source interview with Juan Epstein. I guess about a month ago now, right before yeah. the right before yeah, the yeah, like yeah. you and you and Rashad Smith. I think we're both on there. And uh, yeah, yeah, shout out, shout out, not to cut you off. Shout out to Rashad Smith. Shout out to Main Source. They were just celebrating their twenty fifth anniversary. Actually, as of last July twenty third, it's been the twenty fifth anniversary up until this July, like the whole year. Oh, so, you really? Know, okay. Initially. <laughs> initially I tried to you know in collaboration with them make sure that you know their work was recognized within that time frame right. thank yeah. god it was done right you know yeah so that was so I was, yeah, shout I was, out to Rosenberg and, 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 and Cypher South they yeah. showed a lot of love and it was really a dope interview yeah so, absolutely so. yeah so I was listening to it and geeking and nerding out on all the shit you guys were talking about and then literally like a week or two later Butcher hit me and was like, hey, man, would you be interested in interviewing baby Paul? I'm like, hell yeah. Man. So, <laughs> you know, so, you know, it's just wild, right? Like, it just kind of like, I was just like, man, fucking baby Paul and Rashad Smith. Like, damn. And then, like, bang, Butcher hit me up. You know, I talk, you know, Butcher and I get on that fucking production nerd talk, like, at least 10 times a day. Like, we're on, we're on text just going back. <laughs> yeah, know? man. Yeah, man. We're going back and forth and, and on again, all that shit. So. I gotta shout out Drew, Doctor Butcher. That's like one of my—I call him still one of my peers, as well as an OG homie of mine. Because you know he was DJing with G Rap. You know he brought me around a circle of people that opened a lot of, inspired me, and opened a lot of doors for me back then that he didn't even realize. You know what I'm saying? And right. I gotta speak on that. So, uh, so Paul, you're you're not from Queens originally, though, right? Like, how did you end up getting in the mix with <laughs> with Drew and kind of you know? Uh, well, see, that's the interesting thing. See, my story is kind of deep, man. I don't know how, how much time oh, we, we got. Oh, we got time, brother. We got time. I'll Take your time. I'll try to keep it short and sweet. Born in, born in Harlem, mm-hmm. raised in Brooklyn and Queens. So my career background and my story is based on Brooklyn and Queens more so than anything else. Okay. And uh, around probably uh, 80s into the 90s, you know, I was in Queens. Um, you know, my, 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 my mother is, is from, um, Jamaica, the West Indies she came into the country and I was born and raised here in New York. Um, she relocated to the Midwest, like around the age of 16, my, I, my age of 16, when, um, I was in my sophomore senior year high school, then I came back to New York and, you know, was following my dreams to get in the music business while, you know, in school, while having a nine to five. And around that time frame, I lived in Jackson Heights, Queens. Which is how uh, I met Dr. Butcher through another fellow DJ friend, OG homie named DJ Drag. Uh, so, so my 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 original roots as far as you know you know New York streets and even getting involved with music was Queens. Uh, but you know, um, uh, you know the interesting thing is I also lived in Brooklyn for some years, like in my twenties. You know what I mean? After those days, okay. so it was like uh, I met. He, Mr. Walk from the Beat Miners 
in Queens when he used to work at a record store in Jamaica, Queens called Music Factory. Right. So um, initially, you know, we became friends and I used to just go out to Bushwick, Brooklyn, kick it with them. You know, I met Evil D, you know, through Mr. Walt, which, who, as you know, the b minds their brothers. Yeah. And, um, you know, that was around the time Chuck Chill Out um, put together the, the situation with Black Moon to put out their first single, Who Got the Props. Mm. So that's how I went from being like a Queens OG to somewhat of a Brooklyn OG because, you know, the lineage of the people and the relationships I built throughout the years were within those two boroughs. And my career didn't start until the mid 90s. And I was a, a Brooklyn resident at that point in time. But oh, okay. my roots before that go back to Queens, which gotcha. is why, you know, Dr. Butch and I was friends. You know what I'm saying? I was interning at Power Play Studios in Long Island City, New York, when uh, G-Rap was doing the Wanted Dead or Alive album, mm -hmm. you know, which, was, you know, Drew was around and involved in it, did scratches for, and, you know, the Rock Kim was doing the Let the Rhythm Hit Him album, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Karis One was doing the Blueprint album. I was literally Whoa. in the room throughout the, the years, those that time frame when those albums were being made, just, uh, uh, you know, a solid... Uh, Fly on the wall, there, fly man. on the wall. Yeah, yeah, I was about to say that. You know, and you know, interning, you know, helping out in sessions, things like that. Just getting my feet wet and 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 meeting my peers and my heroes, and uh, that's how I first met Lost Professor because she was, um, you know, behind the scenes doing a couple of things. I won't even get too deep into it. But for those two, for for two albums in particular, one is Dead or Alive and Let the Rhythm Hit. But right. that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and then the inception of Main Source after that. You know what I mean? So, you know, for me, Lodge is one of my first uh, producer peers. He was uh, like watching him and what he was doing back then inspired me to be like, I really want to do this for them. You know what mm, I'm saying? Right. And and then when that Main Source album came out, it was like, forget about it, man. That was like. That that hip hop album was my Bible, man. Oh wow! You know what I'm right, saying? Right. And you know, of course, I, I respected all the other peers that came, you know, after, you know, like you know, like uh, the the P Box, Seal Smooth, the Tribe Called Quest. Back in back in those days, amongst you know, like my 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 circle of hip hop of uh, fellow hip hop producers from B minus to DITC, I looked at them as like the holy trinity. It was like Lars, yeah. Pete, and Tip. Those were the three guys. He was like, yo, those are those dudes. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? For that era, yeah, absolutely. and uh, not not to get along with it, but fast forward years later, you know, um, throughout my career, you know, starting with the B minus, moving on to do things with like Nas and AZ, and then when I worked on Stomatic, for me, that was like an alpha and omega place because oh. think about it, think about this, yeah. guys. Breaking Adams introduced Nas to the world, which led to Illmatic, yeah. right? Yeah, yes, sir. Two thousand and one. I got to work on Stillmatic. Think about that. Yeah. Stillmatic. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Right? Yep. Lost Professor also worked on that album. Yep. Yeah. Right? Yes, sir. I remember running to him in Queens <laughs> and uh, literally like just random, like running into him, like on Hillside Avenue in Jamaica, Queens and I hopped. He was like, yo, that shit you did was dope. And I was like, man, that was it for me. I made it, man. Yeah, right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. I don't care what I did in my career. That was it for me. No you know doubt. what I'm saying? Like that was that one stamp 
was like, all right, no matter what I do, can't nobody tell me nothing. Yeah, right? hell you know yeah, what I'm hell yeah. <laughs> now, Paul, how and, did you and, get and that? I, I also remember within that time frame, I ran into Primo, and he he, he uh, said the same things like, "Yo, I love what you did on that on the album." And remember, he also worked on that album. Yeah, yes, you know he did. What I'm saying? Yeah, you know, he did. Uh, you know, um, a second lifetime. So yeah, it was just like. You know, to get the respect of my peers through all my years of hard work, you know, that was just a blessing, man. So it's like, at this point, like, nothing nothing I do that sells records or doesn't sell records is going to affect me because I put in the work to not only be inspired by my heroes, but they have the opportunity to be recognized by it. Absolutely. So, Paul, how did, to go back to Power Play real quick, how did you get the intern gig there? Okay, so... That goes back to Dr. Butcher. All right. Because, again, I used to come up, come with him. He used to bring me to his sessions when he was working with G-Rap at Power Play. And that led to me, you know, just doing my, you know, due diligence to get the opportunity to kind of like be at these sessions and ask the owners of the studio if they needed an intern and help out in sessions and things like that. So even when Drew wasn't there, I would be in and out of sessions. But I wasn't there a lot, just enough. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because I still had to, you know, myself and earn a living and and do a work a job you know and stuff like that back right, then right. and again because of my friendship with drew you know i never overextended myself and went too far you know what i'm saying you know how you respect the people that you bring you around certain people right so you don't try to and like you don't want to you know, kill it you, yeah. you don't try to like yeah overstep the bodies like yo i don't need you no more i'm here doing me now it was never like that so you know, I would come in and do little things here and there. And of course, he, he knew about it and he would support it. You know what I mean? So, yeah. It, it was just a dope time, man. It was a dope time for hip hop. Paul, dope talk, time talk about to, that a little more in detail because I, I got a 16 year old daughter right now that's begging me day in and day out to, to put her in the studio. Like, she want to come in here and 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 she thinks she can sing and all that. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not particularly feeling it right now. <laughs> But I, I could see her coming out here with us as a, in an intern capacity. What, there you go. What is the life of an intern, if you could break that down for us? Well, that's a good question. I like that one. You know, I would love to. See, the interesting thing is we're in a digital age now compared mm-hmm. to an analog age of recording music back then, meaning you were recording music on two-inch reel masters, right. bouncing the half-inch you know, masters once you finish the mixing a record. And, you know, again, everything was analog recording. So there was a little bit more intricacies in terms of studio staff. You had your mix engineer. You had your assistant engineer to the mix engineer. Then you had your intern. Your intern would be the one if you needed to go get some tapes. Go go pick up some tapes from uh, 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 one of those uh, analog recordings. shops where you buy master reels and bring it to the studio mm-hmm. and give it to the assistant engineer to set it up onto the two-inch reel master so the engineer can do their work. If, uh, you know, you have to coordinate the studio schedule, you know, who's coming in, who's going out, mm-hmm. logging, all, logging all the time, making sure that all the information is properly organized for the for the um, client to be invoiced to the right. owners of the studio. Right. Uh uh, what else? You know, anything. Like if a client is in there and they need copies of uh, music they just finished, you, you're the one that's responsible to organize, making sure that that copies are made because again, they were recorded to digital audio tape. That's what that means. Oh, wow. And again, I'm going back to a time where it was less digital, you know, what we're doing now in music than, right. you know, compared to then. Right. And so it was just a lot more of, of organizing 
you know, the go-to guy. I wouldn't call, I wouldn't call myself a gopher because I didn't just go get people's coffee or anything like that. It was more, nah, it was more yeah, studio, that was, whatever uh, was needed in the studio. Yeah, it was a business you know, like, position. Yeah. Like, if, if, like if, if a session was done, you had to break down a room. What that means okay. is you had all of these, uh, uh, cords that used to be plugged into mm-hmm. the control board for syncing, you know, the, the, the sound mix. Let's say you had, uh, what's called rack gear of, uh, different, patches for mixing you know mm-hmm. vocal mixing effects eqs etc you used to have to patch patch these cores in to what's called a patch bay in the board mm-hmm. to run these um different um applications to mix a record or record a record or, or tweak vocals so you know we had to like set up and break down a room according to what the engineer needed okay you know what i mean so so paul these you are were... things that <clears throat> so, mm-hmm. i'm sorry go ahead yeah, no, nah, I was just saying that, so generally speaking, that was the role of an intern then. I, I would say now the role of an intern may not be as needed because everything's so digital, everything's yeah. software-driven. Yeah. A lot of things are so much accessible and easier to a- apply when it comes to the recording and mixing process. There's not as much physical things needed to be done where you have to set up a room and, and plug up stuff. And, yeah. Uh, hook up stuff, you know what I mean? It's nah, all you nah. turn on the yeah, your nah. Mac and everything's there. The role <laughs> of an intern now is to leak albums. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, or, or, or run someone's social media. Account, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, Paul, I, I got to imagine you were a young whippersnapper around this time because if memory serves yes, and I had the timing right, I mean, wasn't large like sixteen or seventeen when he was working on Breaking Adams? I mean, these. Yeah, he had to be at least between, I, I wouldn't even say 16, maybe like 17, somewhere, somewhere between 17 and 19. Okay, okay. We're still in the same age group. I don't even know. I may be a year or so older than him. I Oh, really? Know. Okay, okay, okay gotcha. Okay. <laughs> still quite young, though. Because, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I believe I was like 20, 20, like 19, somewhere between 19 and 21 around that time. Wow. Gotcha, okay. okay. So, so you glossed so my over. Career, my professional career didn't start until 95. Mm. When Smith and Wesson came out, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Right. That was my first commercially released record that I contributed to as a producer. So that's '95. So let's do the year. Let's let's break down a year. Bezos' album "Breaking Down" came out in '91. So my career started four years later. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. You know what I mean. So right, even though you. I was in the mix and I was in the scene, I was still an unknown up until that point. Right. So did you you, you started uh, picking up production? Pretty soon after you got the uh, the internship at PowerPlay, or did you bar somebody's machine, yeah, or how, how that right. how that all go down? Put it this way, you know. Again, you know, I built the relationship with B Miners, and then uh, by then, you know, I can't remember what year who got the props came out. I don't know if it was ninety two or ninety three, but um, you know, that single came out. That was produced by Evil D. And and then because of my relationship with Walt, we started all building a relationship, you know, collectively. And by the time Black Moon's album was being made, I was in the sessions, like completely in, in the sessions while that whole album was being made. And, you know, I would vibe off of what they were doing and throw little ideas, maybe a record to sample, but I didn't produce anything. I, didn't, I wasn't credited as producing anything because I wasn't hands-on in the beat-making process. I was still developing myself. Okay. I was investing in equipment. I was investing in equipment and record collection, et cetera, et cetera, building my B catalog. So it wasn't until Smith and Wesson came around and they needed records to be demoed 
that was being demoed at Walt's house in Brooklyn that ended up becoming part of the, the, the Smith West now, like song recognized was a demo that I did with Walt, you know, in Brooklyn, you know, like I did recognize he did let's get it on. Um, wow. I forgot. There's, there's another song that never made it called no good hood that I did. And these are like the demos that transitioned from black moon to the Smith and Wesson album. Oh my God. And then nervous gave them the opportunity to do the Smith Wesson album. And then the first single was Bucktown. You know wait, saying? wait. So, so, so all of those, so, so all those joints were Black Moon records. So that was that meaning Buckshot and BDI were on them, or it was uh, like what? What? What do you mean when you were they were demos for the Black Moon record? What does that mean? Oh no, no, not demos for the Black Moon record. Demos for the Smith and West. Oh, for the Shining. Okay, okay. I'm sorry, I heard Jerome. Right, okay, gotcha. right, okay. right, okay. right, right, right. Cool. I, I, I always got to make sure I clarify that because you know when when this this stuff goes public. You know, one thing that is very important is everybody understands who did what back right, then. Right. Oh, so, yeah. You know, hip-hop producers are anal, but yo, you know, don't don't mess with my credit. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Paul, real quick. So, um, so, so, so the, for clarification um, purposes, the demos I referred to was for The Shining. Okay. Well, gotcha. to The Shining. It wasn't even The Shining yet. It was just records for Smith & Wesson. Just demos, yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Right. Paul, real quick. What you know, was the... um? Um, thinking back to those times and 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 nervous and all that, what would what were those what were those early deals and situations like um, as a producer, uh, even from the the demo aspect of it, like like getting ready to to release that record, which is a major record. Um, mm-hmm. The Shine is one of my all time favorites. Indeed, man. yes, I mean, absolutely. Good yeah. God, you know it's so crazy because. You know, not to get off subject because I want to stay stick, stick to the the, the subject. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with you guys. I feel like the anniversary of the shining had passed, mm-hmm. and it didn't really get the the public yeah. um, celebration it deserved. That's you right. know, I remember getting tagged on social media about it here and there, but Duck Down didn't take an initiative to do anything about it. You know, um, and and neither did uh, Nervous Records. You know, mm. so you know, I just felt like. You know, I didn't control those masters, so I wasn't in a position to be like, yo, let's do this, 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 and this, you know? Right. I remember Steel had contacted me because they, they were thinking about doing uh, a remix, a couple of song remixes, like recreating a couple of records, like a live band version of some mm-hmm. songs from that first album around that time frame, but I, nothing came of it, so, you know. <clears throat> but to answer your question, mm-hmm. um, again, Duck Down Records, before they became the, a label, you know, it was Drew who was dealing with, you know, the management. Duck Down Management was a, the management company for like Black Moons before it started, before it became a label. And Nervous Records was the one that was doing those deals. So I wasn't involved in the record deal process of these albums. What I can tell you is that um, through Duck Down Management, they paid myself as part of the beat miners and he would be a Mr. Walter produced the records on those albums back then. Okay. And you know, it was, it was pretty fair, you know, being, cause you gotta remember, uh, in the nineties, independent labels were still the premiere for quality hip hop. You know, it wasn't major labels like until the late nineties into two thousands that really was making the climate of hip hop music, what it is That's from right. then to now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? You know, the nervous records, the 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 wild pitches, those are all independent labels. Right. So right. even though they had money, 
you know, it's not like they're paying us ten thousand to do a record. So we'd get maybe fifteen hundred, twenty five hundred, three grand, depending on the budget for the record and how many records we did. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, and then the rest was up to the marketing of these albums by these labels for in terms of its actual presence in the market and what it would do in terms of record sales. Okay. You know? So, so but the good thing is that independent labels had a strong enough presence in the urban market that a record would come out and see the light of day. You know what I mean? Like you knew true. about a record that came out. Yeah. Single, video. It was on the radio, it was on television. It was in the stores. You could find it. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's Paul- one of the things I miss. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah, absolutely. Man, great times. <laughs> so, 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 Paul, what, um, what did, um, I guess, what, what, what was that like putting the putting the shining together? Like, did, did you guys do? Because you hear these stories about how, like, you know, people did a hundred records and they picked the best twenty, or then, then sometimes you hear rec- stories like we did twenty five joints and we picked the we picked the best seventeen and that was it. Like. What was that? Um, because you were you were you know, pretty it's, it's, you were I'm pretty glad, integral I'm to the album. Because it's weird. A part of that was a blur. I do remember we did like there was only I can say for me there was only like one record again that I mentioned a little earlier that was a demo called No Good Hood that I produced that didn't make the album. I okay. can't recall what Evil Being Was the Walt did that didn't make the album, but I it was kind of weird. It was like we made records but we were kind of strategic with it. So we kind of knew what we were doing in terms of content and, 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 and reached a completion point where like, this is the album. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, you know how, like you said, those stories of people doing 20, 30 records, we didn't do that. We didn't do that. Gotcha. We didn't okay. do that. So it was like, a lot of those records, we made them as we made them. And then when we had a body of work that felt right, it was the album. And then the next thing that was the science of it, and I, I'm going to credit Mr. Walt for that, was the sequence. You know, he, uh, he would be like, all right, now that we have all these songs, we're going to format it and sequence it in a way that sort of feels like an album, beginning, middle, end. Right, you know? Right. So the body of work as you have it, it in its release, you know, it was sequenced based on Walt's vision of how the, the, the songs for the album should have been presented. Gotcha. Okay. So, so for those who don't realize, so, and Paul, correct me if I'm wrong here, but you produced Recognize, the original version that appeared on the album. You produced right. Home, Home Sweet Home, and you produced correct. Wipe Your Mouth. Correct. Correct. And you know what's so funny? You know, because, you know, that's the one album, and I'm sure you guys, if you're aficionados and have that record, where my name was spelled differently in the credits. And that was Tech. From Smith Wesson, because you know a lot of this stuff they had their own slang. If you can tell from the thing they said in their lyrics, oh yeah, to how they wrote wrote their words, even the song titles. Yeah. So when they administrated the the credits for the album, I wasn't there. I wasn't involved. You know, like Walt would do all of the you know overseeing of administrating stuff, and the rest was tech and steel and duck down. So. It wasn't until once the album came out and I saw the credits. I'm like, why did y'all spell my name like that? You know what I'm saying? It was like B-A-D-E-E-P-A-L-L. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't spell my name like that. What kind of <laughs> shit is that? <laughs> that was tech, you know what I'm saying? And I asked myself, who, who did this credit? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm killing it. 
<laughs> That's, That's hilarious. Ever since then, I was been a like everything for me was a learning curve. Like I never let my name get discredited ever since. Oh yeah, know. that's right. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you and know, shout to Tech. You know, it's no, it's no ill will, but you know, it's just you know, it's it's no different as a we're producers, but we're artists in our own right. You want your name as well as your work. You want everything to be right, way. exact. Yeah. Yo, I've got exactly. a, I've yeah. got an I've got an ill story kind of like that, and I didn't know when I would have the opportunity to tell this, but I'm going to tell it now. And oh, real quick. Shout out to Grap Lover. So I was hanging out with Grap in D.C. kind of randomly about six months ago. It was me and Zoe and Roddy Rod. So we were all hanging out mm-hmm. like somewhere in Silver Spring, Maryland, whatever. And we were just, you know, nerding out, talking about hip hop shit. And the joint that Grap did for uh, for Pete for Method Man on uh, uh, Soul mm-hmm. Survivor 2, right? What was the fucking name of that joint? Uh, oh, God. What was it? Half Man, Half Amazing. There you go. Right, so, right, right. The P Rock joint. Yeah, yeah, yeah the P Rock joint. Is somebody out there, Meeks? Hey, look, I saw some shit. Somebody like, crawling around out there? You know, I'm I'm operating. I'm on fumes right now. I'm starting to <laughs> see Meeks shit. Is shit see. Meeks is starting to see shit. We, we pardon got, us, Paul. Pardon us, Paul. We, we got we, I got windows in my lab good, here. And we, we, and you know, I got to go he, check. He's about to step outside. All right, so so real quick. Uh, okay, all right. I'll tell the... This is a great story. Anyway, so... Uh, so we were, we were talking about, we grab about this joint, Paul, and he said that he almost missed getting credited for producing that record because someone else in, uh, or someone else that was managing all of the, uh, you know, the credits and the, you know, just whatever, all the admin work for that album just assumed that it was Pete that produced that joint, you know, whatever it was, a you know, for lack of a better term, it was an intern or it was someone that just, right. someone that just didn't know. Right. So Grapp was talking about how basically, you know, God was looking out for him that day because he ran into somebody and said, you know, Hey, they're putting together the credits for the album you know, go see this guy or something like this. Grandpa, I apologize if I'm butchering the story. Anyway, he, right. went over, he went over there to look at the computer where the guy was working, putting together the credits. And sure enough, he down, he had down Pete Rock for fucking Grab's credit on the album. He was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Pete didn't produce that shit. I produced that shit. See? Anyway, And I didn't know that. Yeah, <laughs> so that's ill, right? Yeah, so anyway, but you told that story about the credits being, you know, all jacked up, and it just remind, it, it, it just triggered a reminder of that story that Grant told me. That yeah. was so crazy. So. Yeah, and, and like I said, other than this for West album, you'll never see my, my name miscredited. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's right. <laughs> but so, the, I'm glad that you were still able to recognize this record I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But misspelling decided. Now, you did, did you do the, rec- the recognized remix? As well, well, or? no, because okay. um, still had the idea to sample um, Bill Withers, and I was cool with that. But you know, I just chose to let him do his thing because, like, I have a certain approach about how I make records. You yeah. know what I mean? And more than once, this has happened when I work with Bootcamp. Like when they want to remix records that I produce the singles, we may not share the same vision in terms of the approach. So I let them do them. You know, right, right, gotcha. that was the same okay. case when I did therapy for Helter Skelter, you know, and right. Buckshot decided to remix. Yo, so that's, Paul, that's quite a transition. Yeah. Is that where you're going right yes, now? Yes, Paul, <laughs> I have to know 
for for me and my brother, I I got a brother that that's that's heavy into DJing and 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 dabbles in production a little bit. Blood, blood brother, too. real brother. My blood, blood brother, brother. J Rock. Shouts out to him. Yes. Me- Memphis, Tennessee. What yes. up, yo? I have got to know what the fuck was you on when you <laughs> did La Fleur La Fly Oh my god! <laughs> now, I, and you and I so ask funny? I ask you that because I saw something else in here. Um. Uh, uh, nice. from a, 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 a interview you did with Hip Hop DX, um, you know, right. you, I, I've always been a forward-thinking individual, which at times has been my benefit, and other times my detriment. What I call future shock. La Fleur La Fly yeah. for me. Wow, was, you, pull, you 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 pulled the rabbit out of the hat. Yo, you know man. What's so weird, man. <laughs> when you're a musician and you do media and you 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 work and you live, you know you don't always think everyone's listening or paying attention. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then you only get reminded with moments like this. Mm-hmm. When someone actually quotes me or I get hit online about something from someone, it could be in Europe or Scandinavia or Japan, and they're like, yo, I love what you did with this, 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 this. And I'm just like, wow, okay. You know, as you don't take it for granted, there's right. somebody listening. and There's somebody paying attention. Yeah, absolutely. All the time. Yes, sir. Yeah. Well, first off, I want to credit the song title to the late great Sean Price, aka Rucker Help Skelter. He Man, came up with that song Pete. title. You know oh, really? He came up with that. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's why. If you notice, he says it. You know, think of how the song opens up. Yeah. If y'all know that song, how does it oh, open yeah. up? Say it to me right now. Man, I just I I can't quote it verbatim, but definitely okay, okay. Ruck Ruck was starts, La Fleur you hear, you hear La Escoska. Yeah. It's La Fleur, La Fly, the Fat Five. And then it goes into the hook. He set it off. Yeah. He set it off in the studio and, it, and we just let it fly. Yes, you know yes, saying? y'all. Yeah. He was snapping <laughs> exactly. on that motherfucker too, man. Wow. And trust me, trust me, that is the oddest. Oh man! For the, one of the most classic hip hop records ever, without the question, man. So wait, and so, again, it, that 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 language means nothing. Unless nothing. For some reason, it might exist in some uh, some part of the world that I don't know. Right. He made that up. <laughs> that was just him being. That's that was Pete. Just Sean Price being Sean Price. Just, That's just Creating his own slang. You know what I'm saying, man. So, Paul, uh, so, yeah. I mean, I, I hate to get wrapped up in the, in the past too much. And we're, I, I do. I definitely do want to nah, talk about I do want to talk about all it, the new it, shit it, you got going on, especially now because of the climate. OK, it's important to capture these moments and have these conversations. I OK, appreciate it. OK, good, good. OK, great. So. um, So, I mean, you, 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 your resume is um extensive and impressive and you've been a part of some 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 groundbreaking music over the years right so at any point you know and usually people say they don't realize it when they're going through it but i mean for for you to be involved with you know uh, a black moon into the stage and you know I, I saw something where and i don't again it's the internet you know to be involved mm-hmm. with you know being there when uh, when Evil D and Buckshot recorded the demo for Who Got the Props and being at Power mm-hmm. Play and being part of the Shining and La Fleur La Fla. And then, you know, like you said, the, the 360, you know, um, you know, thing with Nas and Stillmatic. And this other thing that really mm-hmm. fucked me up when I when we were preparing for the interview this week 
was you being the third in a line of Pauls, Paul C, Large Pro, and then yourself. Like at, yeah. at, at any point when you're making these records and you're doing this, are you like, wow, this is going to be, this is, it turns out to be as incredible as you thought it was going to be at the time, or did it just completely surpass your expectations? Like, well, you know what I'm saying? Man. I mean, that, that was, I, I said, right. first, to me, first, to first me, that's this. the future shock of it. To me, right, maybe that's what it this. is. Yeah. First, I want to say this. First, I want to say, I, I thank you and I appreciate your um, acknowledgement because like, Everything I do is like subconsciously strategic. Okay. Paul C, I never got to meet Paul C, but I did meet and work with his brother, Tim McCaskey. Do you see how I explain to you the lineage? Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Like, I used to go to Studio 1212 in Queens. Like, we go back to, again, that time frame, Dr. Butcher Power Play. That was another studio in Queens I used to go to, where Farrell March and, 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 and Organized used to go to, where Large used to go to. I never was at twelve twelve when Large was there, but I knew about it. See what I'm saying? And I I got to meet and work with Tim McCassey, Paulsey's brother, after Paulsey passed away. And okay. it's funny because my government name is Paul, and I know Large's name is Paul. Right. Even though that a lot of people don't know that's his second, this is more of his middle name. His gov- his government first name is a different name, but people know him as Paul. So, you know, as I was getting into, you know creating my own identity musically from his inspiration, knowing my name was Paul. And it was a slang term. If y'all remember in the nineties, baby Paul, baby like baby Paul, you know what I mean? Right. But it was more slang than anything. So when I thought of adopting a name, it just felt right. You know what I'm saying? And I looked at it like I was new at it. You know what I'm saying? Then I was like coming in behind my heroes like Lost Pro you know what I'm saying? And and I was a newborn baby at it. You know, at, at the, being a producer, at becoming a part of the game. You know what I mean? So it's like, it was like, um, how can yeah, I say? Yeah, preempted like, little brother by about 15 years, right? It had multiple <laughs> meanings for me when I decided to adopt that name. You know, the fact right. that it was a slang term. And people used to call me that in slang because my name was Paul. And then me looking at myself as a new new person in the game. So I called myself Baby Paul. Like, technically, for me, it's like I was adopting myself as as the baby of what Large Pro used to do. You know what I'm saying? What right. was known for. And I always adopted that understanding with my creative approach. Like, I want to make it of this type of quality, like somebody like Large would appreciate or somebody like Large would. Not copying, but just quality with my own vision. Right. With that understanding, with that teaching. You know what I'm saying? So... So everything I did, you know, in, in 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 collaboration as well as you know on my own, in collaboration to be mine as well as on my own. I always, I always took the approach of respecting the the culture of hip hop and respecting my peers and my and the architects before. Me. So did you know that those records were going to be as big as they were, even if they, you know, they, they were actually no, okay, all not right. at all. I really didn't. I I just wanted to make stuff that was dope. And for me, impress my peers and make some money. <laughs> right, right. In that order. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know that saying? sounds about right. So, yeah, right. So, <laughs> you know, you know, um, you know, and it was friendly competition, even within the B Myers, as well as our, our other peers from the largest, the P to, to Q-Tip, to DITC, the list goes on. You know, the whole New York hip hop scene, it was always friendly competition because right. we knew the music and we knew that we had an opportunity to have a voice 
we didn't know where the records were going to go because it goes back to what I said earlier. It's up to the record companies how well they get marketed right. in terms of record sales. But as far as the quality, I had a sense that there was going to be an impact. I remember excited to see what the result of the fans would be from when the Black Moon album was turned in. I, I right. felt the energy like, this is going to be dope. You right, know what I'm saying? Right, right. And then when we did Smith & Wesson, and I, I finally got an opportunity to actually have music that I contributed and begin making a name for myself in terms of credits, I was just like, man, okay. You know, boot camp was still just forming. Because remember, Smith, um, Help Skelter wasn't in the fold yet. They were around, they were part of boot camp, and they're teaching on Smith West now, but their body work wasn't really out there yet, and which is kind of what really gave me a stamp as a producer. Because right. even though I was around Black Moon and I was involved in Smith Wesson, like, if you follow my work from that album to like the Health of Skelter album, my creative presence was felt the most on the Health of Skelter album. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Starting with the LaFleur record. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah, and, and, like, and all the records you made. You for, here's yeah. the opportunity for you. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And you, 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 you put your foot in on that one because all the records that, you know, he did on this joint were, you know, just incredible records on the LP. I mean, Yo, man, my, let my, the brains blow therapy. Man. I mean, shit, man. Wow. Yeah, I'm gonna tell you my yeah. first experience with the the first Black Moon record. Uh, I was living in Marietta, and uh, my man Troy Dadico, yeah, Lavish Stoner. Uh, uh-huh. he had popped up to New York or Jersey or something like that, and came back in a sob that was hot as a firecracker. <laughs> and they had they had don't laugh don't laugh this shit ain't funny this is real shit they had run some type of scam where this motherfucker had gray metallic paint on it white leather seats with his initials stitched in them and a sound system that you would fucking die for. Yeah, it would make you make your inside drive. Oh right? my god! And 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 he came and picked me up in this motherfucking sob, yo. And he put that black moon on and that system, and I fell in love instantly, dude. <laughs> it was a rap. It was a rap to hear that record in a real system. Yeah, man. You yeah. you wasn't even yeah. ready for that, dude. Yeah. Nobody was yeah. ready for that. Ugh. Now imagine, imagine sitting in session, hearing these records oh, loud. Uh, don't even man. on speakers in the wall. Come on, man. Listening to songs like "Act Like You Want It." Man, man, was y'all you know in there man? just bugging out, or was was everybody sitting back like? With their legs crossed, like doing the knowledge, like what, 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 what are we talking about? You know, here? Honestly, we were just like, honestly, we were just like mad scientists, man. Like, you know, <laughs> rubbing the, your the, the chin rap, and the, shit, the, like the, hmm. the, MCs, <laughs> the MCs would, you know, pick their corners in the studio and get their smoke out, you know, like me and what we didn't smoke, you know what I mean? But the rest of, you know, the whole boot camp smoke. So they'll, 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 they'll block out a corner of the studio somewhere, whether it be the live room or the lounge. And they got the TV flowing and, and weed and, you know, blowing. And we in the control room, like mad scientists, just making sure, yo, do this, do that. You know, Karen, Karen Walsh was the engineer mixing everything. And we would just have those records blowing, blowing, speakers like, whoo, you know what I'm saying? And, and I remember, like, just having a tape of, like, 
the very, very first sequence of the album and just listen to it like wow, wow this is yeah. crazy oh my god you know what I'm saying like so like certain records was just hypnotic to listen to like uh, one of my favorites on the Black Moon album two of them was Act Like You Want It mm-hmm. and Blacksmith and Weston yeah. because that Amar Jamal sample with the reggae vocals in it oh, yeah. everything just my big clean yeah. to make Ooh, when that oh, come yeah. on and then the drums come in that record is incredible <laughs> B yeah I know yeah Yo, man, I step out yeah. of my house in the morning sometimes and I just be I like, man, can the sob just come pick me up one more time, man? <laughs> I mean, like just I can't just, believe I have not heard this story dude, before. Dude, I'm trying to tell you, man, like like this this shit was out of nowhere, man. Like it was <laughs> it, it was like one summer. It was like a summer after a freak nick or something. And and Paul, we gonna get into that too, because we in Atlanta and we we oh. hear you got some ties to Atlanta too. But uh, but yeah. it was it was like a summer after a freak nick or something, and before you knew it, man, I was in this fucking sob, and we hitting the AU Center every Friday for the meat market, and <laughs> and and not only that, but I saw my first tech that summer. Oh shit! Like there's a picture somewhere with a cat, a New York cat, pointing a tech nine at my chest. Oh shit! <laughs> what? And I got that's like a brown, I got like a brown car canai short set on <laughs> with the like with the vest and the shorts that match. It's a picture out <laughs> It's a picture. Out, yo, the crazy shit about that is I still got that short set in my closet. <laughs> so I got a nice little vault of shit in my closet, Paul. Yeah, I'm telling you. But uh, but yeah, man, this was this was an amazing summer. Like after a freak nick and all this music was coming out, and it was just crazy, dude. Yeah, I remember being so confused trying to figure out like who is who in boot camp. Like I remember, <laughs> like you know, but so Black Moon came out, then Smith and Wesson came out. Ever Smith and Wesson came out, and all these fucking remix twelve inches were coming oh, out man. on Nervous, and I'm just like, God damn, who are these motherfuckers? You know, I'm in Kentucky at the time too, right. so I have no connection. Yeah, yeah, I have no connection yeah. to the and, fucking and, outside and what's world. What's dope is that each album introduced another artist out of right. care Yo, who led right. to their album. That's what I do like about yeah. the sequence of those albums. I'm gonna tell you what helped out with a lot of that was the video. Oh hell yeah, that was Absolutely. that was everything. I mean to see to see Evil D doing a handstand in the elevator scratching. <laughs> to see the oh fab, I forgot about that. Yeah, to see the Fab Five doing Temptations dance Bro, steps. That was- that was a Bushwick project. I was there. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Them videos was everything back then, man. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, hell. Man. That's Crazy. hell. Great, good, good, good times. Woo. Good times. So, so Paul, you, you obviously after those, like after uh, I guess uh, end of the stage, after the shining, after nocturnal. OGC's album. I mean, as the beat miners, you guys were really starting to get a lot of burn and, uh-huh. you know, recognition. Like, what was there, like, after that, because you got you guys, I mean, the way that I kind of look at it, correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys, you know, molded and shaped, you know, those artists via, you know, the sound and, you know, you guys right. kind of built those guys from the ground up. So, 
was there? I mean, you mentioned we Preem. Sure you know, you mentioned Preem and, you know, and, and Large, like, you know, talking about the Nas record you did. But was there, when you guys were kind of in the middle of that and all the duck down or the shit was popping, like, what was there a placement that you guys got, you know, after that where, where you just kind of looked at one another and you're like, holy shit, this thing is really popping now. Like, this is not just, you know, our artists that we're, you know, and our crew that we're building up, but so-and-so was asking for beats or we got this right. placement well, or... Well, here's, here's, here's what I can tell you. Just rewinding a little bit since you mentioned Preem. You got to remember, Primo and Gangstar were our neighbors because we all worked out at D&D Studios. Matter of fact, right. when we made Black Moments with West albums, uh, Primo was, you know, in the B-room doing Gangstar, J-Rule, Group Home, right. uh, God. Nah, Biggie, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so How has nobody we done a D&D documentary yet? Like a real one? Like, that's crazy. Yeah. Man, anyway. let me tell you something, man. When I retire, I'm going to write my book. I promise y'all. Oh. I promise y'all. I oh, that's going to cover it right there. About this. Uh, maybe top of this year, like right before this whole main source anniversary project came out. You know what I'm saying? And of course, I know we're going to get into that. But, you know, I was just like, man. And my story's not even finished being written yet, so right, exactly, I, I yeah. got a few things up my sleeve. Paul, what's your what's your I, what's your tentative retired, what's your tentative title, man? I'll share my my book title with you if you tell me your tentative title for your for your. I, your... I, I, what's so funny is you guys follow my work. If you follow my work well enough, you might find it. Oh, but if you okay. don't, I tell you. All right. <laughs> Little 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 game, little treasure. I guess yeah. we'll have to like. We'll we're gonna have to do. We're gonna have to do some homework. Yeah, come back to that before we wrap. Okay, before all right. Wrap, the okay, there thing. we go. We're gonna come back to that. Okay. Yeah. make sure. And, and I'm. A, and if you can't remember, I'll tell you. My my tentative title is so glad I never made it. <laughs> mm, that's my. dope. You know what's so funny? Uh, the reference the the reference of what my title is is kind of similar, but it's not in that wording. Okay. It's another. Oh. It's another. It's another title, but the reference of it is relatable to what you're saying. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I got yeah. you. I follow. Yeah, yeah. Me, yeah. Me, me we're says... gonna circle back on that though. All right. All right. Because okay. then, then when I finish, when I finish everything I'm saying with uh, you're gonna be like, ah, that makes sense. Okay. Uh, okay. All right. <laughs> cool. So, so what yeah. was the one placement, Paul, that you, that you guys got, or what was the inquiry that you got where you're like, okay, th- th- this shit's on a new level, right? Now. I gotta be honest with y'all. You know, I gotta be honest with y'all. When it came to placements outside of Duck Down and Boot Camp, I never got any real opportunities, and it wasn't like uh, I couldn't. The reason was. Um, unbeknownst to me, you know, people, you know, again, duck down management, people used to think that uh, to get to us, they would have to reach out to Drew with duck down. I, I think by the time the floor and health and skills project came out, there were inquiries coming to him that never was brought to my attention because mm-hmm. he didn't manage. Oh, okay. And, and then as far as B miners go, when they got calls, it was more Ian Walk doing that work. Outside gotcha. of bootcamp, gotcha. so during that time frame, the only work I did outside of bootcamp was the artifact. I don't know if you remember the song called "The Ultimate." Oh no, I was going to ask you for that. Yes, I was going to ask you about that actually. Yeah, yeah. I actually through uh, another great hip hop producer from Brooklyn, Sean J. Period. Shout out to Sean J. Period. Oh yeah, shout out to Sean. Who Jay. actually 
worked on the Health and Skelter album. And it was just, it was more of a camaraderie thing. Like, we, we, we were acquainted from each other from Brooklyn through mutual acquaintances. I can't remember how we first met. Really good, good dude, passionate about music, very down to earth, humble, spiritual dude. Got a lot of love and respect for Sean J. Oh, yeah. He basically is like, yo, I'm working on this Artifacts record. You know, if you got any beats, you know, you know, send, you know, come through the studio. It wasn't even send me the beats. It was come through the studio. And that's how I met Artifacts and played them beats. So shout out to Ella Tane. And I ended up, you know, unbeknownst to any of us, I ended up getting the single and it was just crazy. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Exactly, it wasn't planned yeah. that way. Yeah. You know, I didn't ask for that. And then I, 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 in return, I got Sean Jay to do work with Health Skelter. That's how he's on the Health Skelter. Oh, that's you know what I mean? Now, Paul, were you involved in the remix of the Ultimate at all, or no? That that was that that was no, just straight showbiz? showbiz. Did that? Yeah, that was just straight yep, showbiz. Right? Okay. There was, I, I, you know, it's so weird, and that's not an ego thing. I used to love the original work to the point where sometimes I didn't want to do the remix. You know what I mean? Um, in the case of therapy in particular, I was open to that remix, but you know, me and Buck didn't agree, so I let him do his thing, and then. Same thing with, with Recognize. That was kind of more Steel's vision, and I said, go ahead, do your thing. Gotcha, you know I mean? okay. But what but, about um, the placement you got on well, the Fat well, Joe? The uh, ultimate, I'm sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, but with the Ultimate, you know, um, I just did the original, and the decisions to make a remix was done by the label, not me, you know? Uh, so okay. I, gotcha. I, was, I didn't even get the call about the remix. They just went and did it, you know what I mean? Gotcha. So, which is cool. So is that, how, <laughs> is that how Butcher landed on the Artifacts album, is through you? Because he did some cuts on the Artifacts album, right? Who butchered? Yeah, I think so. I think he did. Uh, I didn't know that. If he did, well, maybe he knows Sean J. Period. I'm not sure. Well, I did. Well, I, sure. I assumed it was through Reef, but I didn't. I don't know if Reef was still there at the time. Right. You know what? It probably was Reef because Reef was the A and R, and he was also a producer, okay. and he knew Butcher, so gotcha. that makes sense. Yeah, it I, probably was Reef. I, I didn't yep. realize that Butcher there did cuts on that either until I was looking at you know mm-hmm. the the uh, the credit the track listings and whatnot for. You know, right, the album right. preparing for this, right? And I was like, oh, Butcher was on that album. I was like, that's interesting. And I, I didn't know if it was like that was through you or if that was through, I was thinking maybe Reef or something. And so. then and then to carry the Jersey torch a little further, my, my guy was managing Artifacts. He was working with Fader Hussein, another Jersey. Hmm. Rest in peace. You know what I'm oh, saying? Lord. And that's how I got on Fader Hussein album, which was on Relativity Records. Hmm. Oh, then. now, which joint did you, man- what'd you do on Fader Hussein's album? I did a song called Outlaws featuring Mac Maul. And the funny thing is, mm. there was originally a sample that had an issue being cleared when I did the track. So I had to go back in the studio and do like a live replay of, of my original idea. So like the transition, I mean, the tra- excuse me, portraits of words, the translation of the track idea wasn't completely mixed the way I wanted it, but it was because I was forced almost in the ninth inning before that I was mastered to go back in and change it because of the sample issue. You uh, know what I mean? Okay. But the version, the version of the album isn't the version of what I actually really made because it was, it was a sample of Isaac Hayes record. It was so retarded. Mm. We couldn't clear it. Uh, okay. So I had to, I had to replay the guitar and it was kind of rushed. So, you know, it was, it was just more of an album cut. It wasn't a single. So some people may not even know what I was on that album. You know what I mean? So, uh, I, I did not know you were on that album. So that, that's that's news to me. Yeah. There's a couple of records that I snuck album cuts on that people might have missed. But you know, that's my career sometimes. It's, it's yeah. all good. How'd you <laughs> land on the uh how'd you land on, on, on Fat Joe's album on Don Cartagena, that Joy Upon? Um, I think I met Joe in D and D 
And oh, okay. uh, again, Reef was the A&R for that record. So oh, when Joe that. did his deal with Mystic Atlantic, which was a company, you know, in Staten Island with some, you know, some of uh, Joe's friends, and they had a studio in Staten Island and all that. So they were doing a whole album out there. So I used to have to come out to Staten Island, go in there and work on my record. And I had sampled uh, Luther Vandross, Don't You Know That? And I tried oh. to take a different approach than what P had did with it with Heavy D. Right. And bring it, make it more up-tempo and more chopped and layer some instruments to it. That's when I was really, really trying to grow creatively and try to fuse like instrumentation with samples. Right. Something that some people didn't agree with back then in my career, but I just, you know, again, what I said in my that interview, you pointed out, forward thinking, future shock. Yeah, I was yeah. always challenging myself, you know. Right. So it's and, it's, it's no coincidence that around that time, Paul, is when you know, I guess things shifted for you, uh, I guess, kind of uh, business wise with 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 the beat miners. Um, I mean, yep, you got you guys kind of exactly headed in. Right. That, yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, so that record came out in 98. Then I did Buckshot's solo album, BDI Thug, that he did on KTL Records in 99. And then I also worked on the second Black Moon album, uh, Warzone. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of... I think I worked on the Boot Camp album, too. Um, uh, Was it? No, no. There was a song I did for For The People that I played over... um, I played over a, a, a Barry White record that I kind of like replayed some elements of, and it was incredible. But again, nah, man, it's too clean. You can't do that. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So I'm like, how are you going to tell me to make music? This is what I want to do. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, and it was dope. Still loved it. But, you know, the decision was made between Duckdown and Boot Camp that it, 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 it was too much of a standout because you know, they wanted that dirt, that grit, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And I had to accept it. So I don't think they used it. I think they did a different version and used my drums or something on that record. But anyway, and then um, the last thing I ever did for Boot Camp was that other album. The know the one where they had the jerseys on, on the cover? Yes, yeah. I do remember that album, yes. Yeah, and I worked on a couple of those records. Gotcha, you know? okay. And again, that was when I was really trying to like, transition you know just you know get into organic instrumentation but still mm-hmm. keep that foundation i wasn't just trying to like build build more catalog where i wasn't relying on completely on samples you know right Yo, you were definitely but, you know, ahead of your time then the right pain. yeah you were yeah, definitely ahead of your time though because that's you, that's the standard now right more yeah. i mean more or less it's funny because when i look at kanye and just and what they built their careers on and I met Just when I did. Just was on that same book, um, Buckshot album, you know. Mm. And his, if you listen to that Buckshot album and read the credits, the Just Blaze track sound like something Swiss would do because he was using a lot of those Trinity sounds back then. Right, mm. right. See right. what I'm saying? Yeah. He hadn't even found his sound yet until he got over to Rockefeller. Right. Okay. Right. Yo, Paul, from you know a um, from a production standpoint, um, over the years. What were your 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 weapons of choice um production wise and when you bring in you know the the conversation about live instrumentation and all that did you have musicians go to musicians um that yes. you would use and, uh, the answer is yes okay <laughs> uh but okay. as far as so equipment starting, so, 
from day one, I went from the SB12, I'm talking about the 12, 12 mm-hmm. purple. <laughs> okay. Without, with five seconds of yeah. sample time. Yeah. That first Fifth West album was done on an SB12, mm-hmm. not even a 1200. Oh, and, a, and a Kyrie 950 rack for me. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because that was the equipment I had. Then I went to a 1200, 950 rack, then an MPC 2000. Uh, three thousand, like at further into my career, and then um, I I was getting to rack modules and collecting racks. You know what I mean? Keyboard racks, as mm-hmm. opposed to the actual board. I would get the sound module and right. trigger my instruments as I needed to in MIDI. So, and then um, one of my good friends, who, who Moni loves, of uh, ex husband, his name is Mike Risco. He would play some keys on some of our records. That's how he did. Uh, Maybe like the the the, the uh, this is after I was doing less work with Duckdown. Like we're talking like after the Fat Joe record. We're talking like 2000 into 2001, like right around that time when and when me and the beat minded departed ways, and he was playing you know some keys on some of my stuff. And before that, I would bring in like the bass guitarist or someone to play, um, you know, um, live guitars. I remember I did a song on the second Smith West album when they named themselves Coco Brothers, the Rude Awakening album. Oh yeah, they did the There's name song change. I did yeah. feature, there was a song I did featuring Buckshot called Blown Away. The guitars on that was played by Joe Quindy, DJ Premier's engineer. Okay. Oh, yeah. Um, then on the Buckshot album, I had a live bass that was played on a track I did called Boom Bye Bye with D.O.G. from Top Dog. On oh the yeah, o- I remember that joint. Um, from OGC. And that bass was played by the legendary Larry Smith, mm-hmm. producer for oh, Run DMC. Rest wow. in peace. Yeah. No doubt. Wow. Like, these Dang. are the things I was trying to do. You know what I'm saying? Right. But people didn't see it. You know, and it's shot. so crazy because you look, at the, you look at the social media era and the digital era in. Imagine if I did media back then. Just imagine. Say that, say that again, Paul. Imagine what? I said, if I was doing media, like doing press, oh. and, you know, social media, like yeah. I said, look at the digital era now where everything yeah. is being heard and seen. I got you. Compared to that, that, those, those, those years that I was doing all of that work, and I'm saying the time frame, I'm even pointing out to you, late 90s into early 2000s, we're talking like 98 to like 2001. Yeah. Those three to four years of work I did, I feel like it was my growing pains because it was that time when I was moving away from the work I was going for with the beat miners and trying to define myself by myself, right? Right, right. And, and just see my ideas through creatively on whatever level. It could be cross-genre. I didn't care. I just wanted to, I just wanted to create and be great at it. And... I felt stagnated because like people didn't see it. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I just let the work speak. I, I, I kept my mouth shut. I didn't do press. I just said, let me do the records. Uh, let the records speak. But, you know what but, I'm but, 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 but by today's standards, like you're saying, if, if there was social media and all that, all this shit would have been known in real time. Mm-hmm. And yep. TM, TMZ would have been you waiting for seen, you outside you the studio. Of, yeah. You would have seen videos of me in the studio. Yeah, you yeah. Seen Snapchat in it. No doubt. You know, no doubt. I, I would have been on the fog. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. All of that. All that. Just, 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 just a different time. Yeah. So a lot of that got missed by okay. the world. 
Yeah. So, so what was your um, what, what was your kind of um, your, your your game plan then after after you broke out uh from the beat miners? I mean, you were just in the lab crafting heavy, and was the was the yep, the, was the, the Nas record kind absolutely. of vindication for you know that it new direction? Was okay. Because I had did we did a deal with Raucous, and that was like the culmination of where my working relationship with the beat miners kind of came to its. Right. Apex, so to speak. Right. Um, we did a deal with Raucous for the B-Miners album, Break for Impact. It's around like 2000. So, uh, we did the project. We worked on it for like almost a year, maybe longer. Um, long story short, uh, a lot of the music was dope, but there was so much stuff missed because we weren't seeing eye to eye creatively. We weren't picking the right records and artists to make the album. And in my opinion, I think a couple of things the Rockers did that could have been much better. You know, mm-hmm. like we lost a lot of budget on sample clearance issues, artist clearance issues. This is a time frame where there was what we call label wars. A lot of people don't know this. This is behind the scenes. We're talking like Priority versus Loud Records where they weren't clearing each other's artists to be on people's records because they were competing against each other. You understand? Right. And we did that album under duress. And at least I know I did. Right. You know what I mean? Right. We were in and out of the studio making all these records, putting all these people, paying these people, paid Buster, Ghostface, the list goes on. You know, if you have that album and look at the features, Hell yeah. Imagine spending a lot of budget money. Like, we were paying people doing these records. It wasn't all favors. <laughs> right. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and having to clear samples. And that was that time frame after the Bismarcky lawsuit where they came after you if you sampled something. They wasn't oh, yeah. playing. Yeah. It wasn't playing. The sample laws was heavy around that time frame. Yeah. You know? What was that? Engelbert? They was trying Robert to stop us eating. They were trying to stop us from eating around that time frame. Right. So like if you're using it, you gotta pay us. Right. We're talking one record could be ten, fifteen thousand just to create a sample. Yeah. Was this before um I can't remember what when it when did Simon Says come out? Was this before or after Brace for Impact? Because they got dinged hard for Simon Says. You said before Ooh, uh I think Simon says see that's a good question because I did no. Simon Says came out first. I, I don't know why because I did a song for Farrell's album, Summer Fair, that didn't make the album, but they used it on the Next Friday soundtrack. It was a song oh. called "Livening It Up." Oh produced. yeah, I know. Yeah, I remember that. Joe. I didn't know you did that. Yep. See. Yeah. <laughs> so that's so. So you guys were they, they were they were shook from getting hit with that crazy ass lawsuit from the Godzilla oh, motherfuckers, man. man. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, next Friday came out, I think, either 98 or 99. 99, so yeah. Okay. So, uh, Simon Says is already a hit on Raucous before we came out with the with the Brace of Impact album. Right. You know what I'm saying? And and the song I did, it had no clearance issues. It was really a rare soul sample uh, version of uh, Like My Fire that I used. Oh, and okay. it was like two bars, and the rest was all me. I added whatever, you know what I'm saying, from that. Gotcha. And it was dope, but for whatever reason, even though I did the track, um, Rockers decided not to put it on the album, but they was like, don't worry about it. And then they licensed it because, again, Priority had the rights to the Next Friday soundtrack, the second installment of the Ice Cube film series. Right. So 
Gotcha. Um, they licensed, Rockets licensed the song to be on the, sound, the soundtrack for next Friday with Priority. And to this day, I make more money off that song being on that soundtrack than if I would have had it on Pharaoh's album. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. crazy. That is crazy. <laughs> Shouts out to you know, licensing. It's, it's yeah, no business, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, Get your paperwork so. right. That's why those credits are so crucial. Hell man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. But it, even beyond the credits, just your admin with your, your records, your publishing, right, right. your performance royalties. I mean, that's a whole other conversation. I, I bet your name spelled right Ooh, on y'all. that motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah! So, so, so talk to us about the yeah. Nas record real quick, uh, uh, Paul. How'd that come about? So yeah, so basically, uh, hmm, this is after finishing recording Brace for Impact. It hadn't come out yet, um, and this was around the time Frey was doing a little press for it. And I had sent some records, me and one of my best friends for many years, uh, Dave and Prestige, Red the Pool. Prestige formerly the Bad Boy Hitman producers, you know, um, we yeah. was like, yo, let's set the records to Nas. So we both set records to him. And it was through A and R named Lenny Nicholson. He was A and R Sony at the time. I sent um sent him some records. By that summer I got the call back that Nas, you know, wanted the record and he had recorded some of the album <clears throat> in the Bahamas, you know, just to give it, you know, like an escape, creative yeah. escape. Yeah. Then when he got back to New York, you know, he, the producers that were involved in the records they wanted to use got the call. So I got the call and I recorded that record at Right Track Studios in Times Square, New York, in the studio with Nas, real security around the sessions because that was a very tense time for him, as you remember. Yes, yes it was. Doing Stillmatic with the whole thing with him and Jay. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, that was either time. But, you know, it was an amazing, it was amazing, it was an amazing experience because very professional, very quiet, straight to the point. We're both Virgos, and we're both kind of introverts. You know what I mean? So gotcha. it's just funny to me because, <laughs> you know, again, that lineage, it goes back to the fact that I interned in Long Island City, met Lars Pro back then. He opened up the door for Nas. Nas built a career all the way up to Stillmatic, and then I get to work on that album. Yeah, that's so ill. So. And then the, then the even more full circle, <laughs> circle, you end up being... I, I don't know at what level you were responsible for helping this main source reissue come out, uh, Breaking Adams LP. Yeah, yeah we're going we to get into that. We're okay. going to get into that. Okay, cool. <laughs> but to finish with the Nas part, um, he was really cool. Um, he basically did the framework of the vocals on the record previous to, be, to me being there. You know what I mean? And he, he just played it for me like, yo, let me know what you think. And, you know, I was, I was, I was, uh, how can I say? I was like 60% excited, borderline groupie-ish, 40% producer <laughs> hat on like, damn, I got to make this a hot record. I want to hit. You know, I want to hit because as a producer, you want that hit record. You know what I'm saying? So I'm trying to figure it out. So uh, we, we, we talked about the arrangements of the vocals and then even the outro, like, Yo, because again, if you remember the song, he was really venting. You know what I'm saying? That's right. the whole concept of the record. Yeah. You know, the things he's talking about. He had an outro where he was naming names and going ham, like talking crazy. <laughs> I was really? like, no, I can't. I don't want to be responsible for this record. So <laughs> uh, we talked about it and I said, you know, why don't we just do it like this? Because the song is called The Stern Rebuild where, you know, you destroy and rebuild it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's kind of like, 
you throw your darts, but you keep it as a, you end it on a, on a positive note. You know what I'm saying? Yes. So you redid the outro, you know, to what you heard. And I mixed that record. I've said this before on a blog. I don't remember. It, it could have been uh, Hip Hop DX or, or, or Non Factor. But I mixed that record like my life depended on it because it did. I had left the beat miners already. Uh, that album came out. The Base for Impact album came out. So like 8,000 units first week. Oh. I was depressed. Yeah. I was stressed out. And I had this opportunity. So I fought. Like, when I fought, when I say I fought, I meant mentally fought with myself to get in this studio and make this record sound like the best thing I ever did in my career. And that's what I did. Hmm. Now, Paul, uh, Butcher mentioned something about KRS-One and putting this record together. Is there anything yeah. you can okay. you, you you can you can talk about there, or is this not the place for it? Well, well, here's here's the interesting part because there's a line referenced in the chorus from "The Bridge Is Over." He sings, "The bridge is over, the bridge is over." Right. Nah, it's time for destroying and rebuilding. So initially, I didn't sample Karis one in the record. That's all original music from the, the beginning to end. Nothing sampled other than the drums. Right. You know what I mean? So uh, I still had to deal with, on the publishing side, when we cleared the record for it to come out, uh, Karis One gets like 33 to 3% of the writers because of that chorus. Wow. Damn. So Damn, he Chris. ate it's almost as much, if not more, than me on the publishing just because of that line. But I, I, I respected it because, again, this is hip-hop. And, of course, Nas, Respecting hip hop because that song, it's paying homage to Karis One. It's paying homage to Slick Rick. You know the whole vocal delivery was borrowed from Slick Rick. You know what I'm saying? So, like, I respected it. You know what I mean? That's it. But on the business side, it was very lucrative for Karis One, especially since Absolutely. that album sold like two million plus. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that album did two you know mil. So can't nobody say I have never paid it forward in hip hop. Can't nobody tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> Hell no. <nah. laughs> no, you did your thing. Don't talk to me about that. <laughs> For real. That's dope. I've definitely paid it forward. You know what I'm saying? So, so that was just a big reset for you then, Paul. I mean, that just kind of set the stage for you. Just, um, uh, I kind of hate this, to put it like this, but it's kind of like coming into your own, right? I mean, you, you kind of had this yeah. this uh, affiliation with the beat miners, and that was, you know, a real kind of, I guess, redefinition or reinvigoration mm -hmm. of what yeah. you were doing. And, you know, like you said, right. no, no samples. Um, but still hip-hop. <laughs> right, exactly, right, but still hip-hop. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, of course, you mean. So is, it, so is that when you started yeah. dipping in kind of like other things too? Like as I was kind of doing a, a little bit of, you know, looking around this week, um, I saw something about like you got some acting chops. You kind of got into acting a little bit and you were working with like pop bands. Wow, and, you caught that? Yeah. A lot of people missed that. Wow. Yeah, you're Man, like yeah, you're like working right. with a with a with a rock band out of Ohio or something like that. You you started doing yep. all kinds of yep. interesting stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, it's so funny. I'd be wondering who's paying attention. But, you know, like, man, like, I've always wanted to be the type of musician, like, I I, I aspire to 
be uh, an Uber producer, like a Quincy Jones. Mm-hmm. You know, like I don't want to be just be defined by one genre perspective. But of course, unfortunately, coming from hip hop, it's hard because they're going to put you in a box. When I say they, the people within the culture, you know, like you've been doing boot camp, you've been doing Nas. You're not supposed to produce a rock record. You're not supposed to do a pop record. You're not supposed to work with Ariana Grande. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And I feel like it's a, it's a, it's, it's difficult because art is supposed to be based on quality music and it should never be defined by its genre perspective. But unfortunately that's just the way the world works in the business of music. You can't, you can't, uh, it's like they can't expect you to just, um, come from one aspect of the genre and then go into another aspect and be respected. So, you know, it's no different than somebody coming in as a country artist or country producer and saying, I'm producing hip hop now. You know what I mean? So I get it. But you know, like my biggest fight was always trying to be, you know, a chameleon, so to speak, you know, like competing with myself with everything I do, Mm -hmm. you know? So I've always had a passion for art, film, music, and, just through degrees of separation as far as the acting goes, you know, I got the opportunity to work with this film production company out of um, Philly, a company called Tough Struggle Entertainment owned by Sheryl Langston. I met him through one of my OG homies from the Midwest um, that he used to reside in, and then, but he, he went back to like the East Coast and he formed this production company and was financing these independent films out, that was shot entirely in Philly. Uh, one was in 2005, it was called Soulful, and it casted, um, actually, it cast uh, uh, Felicia Pierce and Snoop, who's, you know, from The Wire, that's yeah. also on the new Love of Hip Hop. Um, Emilio Sparks from State Property was in it. Myself. Uh, who else was in it? Gosh, can't remember. Um, man, I can't remember who else was in it. But those two people, oh, Trey Chaney, who played Pooch on The Wire. He was on okay. there, too. Ah, okay. So, yeah, that was shot. It's done on a very small budget, like less than 60000 Shot entirely in Philly. I contributed some music to it, you know, um, did a little bit of the scoring, did, you know, some original records for it. And then the same production company back in, like, 2008 shot another film called Expendable. It's so funny because somebody tagged me on Facebook today about that movie. Like, out of nowhere, just tagged me. So I was watching something <laughs> on my fire stick, and I'm watching this movie, and then I see Baby Paul in, his, in the film, and he tagged me, and I'm like, wow. That's you know what I'm saying? Listen, like like a, couple of, a couple of hours ago. Wow. Tagged me. That's what it got That's on my Facebook. <laughs> it's called, the second film, same production company called Expendable, not to be confused with Sylvester Stallone. It's like EX, the, the dollar sign, and then uh, the rest of the word spelling. And gotcha. um, it had uh, Sparks again from State Property, myself the second one i made a it was a smaller like cameo type role i wasn't in it like throughout the film like the first one right um uh what's the name um the girl that played in belly played keisha and belly terrell hicks is in it oh yeah sunday carter that was the state properties in it okay um a couple other people yeah and that was also shot in philly independent film so yeah you know it's funny because I went to Actors Equity School for about six months to a year. This was uh, early 2000s, after Nas and all that, like around maybe 
2003. Cause you know, like it's just a passion. I've decided to follow it, you know? And I wanted to, before I get too old, quote unquote, see what I could do as far as getting more involved right. in acting. Right. But then it was like, I did these independent films and I said to myself, if I'm going to really do this, I'm going to have to really leave music altogether. Like, mm-hmm. but then that was my way of making a living. You see what I'm saying? Right. So it's like, how do you transition from producing records for a living and say, okay, I'm going to be an actor now. It's like, yeah. That's, uh, that's 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 a big step, yeah. and I didn't know if I was ready for it. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean. Huh. I was like one foot in, one foot out, and it's like again, being a producer I, uh, uh, compared to being an artist, I'm more under the radar, I'm more behind the scenes. I'm not famous. I'm, 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 I'm. My career is followed by those who follow the music, but I'm not producer famous, like you know, like the Pharrells or the Swiss Beats right. or the Timberlands, where once they're famous on that side of the of the coin. You can walk into other situations and doors are open faster. Yeah. See what I'm saying? Yeah. Right. Like if you say, "All right, I'm gonna be an actor," people could be like, "All right, that's for real. I'm gonna cast him in this movie. See what he do." And then if it does well, then it goes another one. Right. Then another one. Then another one. So, so for me, it's like I have to fight because I'm kind of nobody in that yeah. sense. You know, I'm not famous. I'm in the music business, but I'm not famous. So it's a harder grind. See what I'm saying? And a and a and a totally different hustle, but a hustle nonetheless. For yeah, sure. absolutely. Yeah. You know, and I respect the art of film, so I don't want I didn't want to do a halfway. Gotcha. You know what I'm saying? Like that's one of my passions. Like honestly, if I had the opportunity to continue doing more acting, I would do it. That's you know, but you know, that's a whole other animal. <laughs> well, Paul, so, real but quick. I have fun though. I believe that, man. Um, and speaking of the acting, you know, um, Atlanta has become the mecca of 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 Hollywood in the South. Basically, you used to live here in Atlanta. Is that is that for real? Yes, I did. What was yes, um? What were you doing I, um, at that time? Two thousand ten to two thousand twelve. I lived in Alpharetta, mm. and then I lived in Stone Mountain. Okay. Oh damn, man! Yeah, yep. no idea. Yeah. Yeah, again, I'm, I'm, I'm low, I'm low, man. <laughs> Stick and move, man. You know, I just wanted to, this is around a time when the market, as you know, was super heavy in the South, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I knew people that was down there, like Diamond D's down there. Mm-hmm. Remember the rest in peace fight before he went to the West Coast before he passed, he was living down there. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, your, your hip-hop, there's this hip-hop circle out there. You know what oh, I mean? yeah. So I went down there just for the cost of living, you know, I had made a, a nice little chunk of change off of my past work. And I said, let me give it a shot. And, um, and I had a good time. My, 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 my one of my, um, cousins from my mother's side still lives in Alpharetta to this day. So I had moved down there to, to be not far from her. So I had a family nearby. You know? Right. Right. And gotcha. I was, you know, doing my grind, building my network out there. Got the link with street execs and casting managed Travis Porter and, Two chains and mm. uh, um, Ti's cousin um, DJ MLK and you know a couple other cast guys out there that you know yeah. I, I kept in touch with and connected with. But as you know, Atlanta's very clickish when it comes to producers. Oh, so yeah. you can't come from New York and say, "All right, I'm Baby Paul. I did this, 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 and this, and then we get some work." It don't work that way, right? See what I'm saying? It's kind of one of those things where they have to come to you. Or you have to have have to have that one record that grabs someone's attention and they, and they say, "Yo, I want that." Yeah, exactly. Because otherwise, yeah. the futures and all these guys—they're coming up with their guys. You know right. what I mean? I remember back then, future was just coming up you know, with the Rats record. 
Rap right. was a hot record in Atlanta for like almost a year before people knew who he was. Yeah. You know, I remember that. You know what I'm saying? So that's what's so bugged out. Me because, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm sorry. No, I was just saying, I just found it interesting because, again, you know, I, I, when I was in Atlanta, I saw everything from the grassroots left, everything. You know what I'm saying? And the only thing that stopped me from being a part of some of it was just the sound. You know, like, I wasn't making trap beats like that. I was making beats that were, that could work. But again, you know, uh, if uh, Future or Two Chains, who was doing dope street mixtapes before he signed a Def Jam, is using their go-to guys that they, they that they got those relations with, that may not even charge them to do a track to get themselves hot, then that puts me out of the loop. Right. So, yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because. I've I've noticed this, and I saw an article about this recently, and I've always thought this over the past two to three years, maybe five years, I guess, as Future and 2 Chains, and, you know, this whole kind of, I don't know, whatever version or flavor of it, of, of Atlanta hip-hop or rap that's coming out right now. But to mm-hmm. me, like, Future and 2 Chains and these guys are actually defining who the next producers are. Like so, right. I, I, I saw an article somewhere. Like mustard, for example. Well, mustard. Mike Will made it right. Like, but like, yep. and, and like Metro and all those guys. Yep. Like Metro, but like the, the new, booming. yeah, like the but the the new Future record just was it the new Future record that just came out or the new yeah the new Future record came Two out. Of them. Yeah, but I think it's like a whole different set, like a new set of producers. Like I, I mean, I'm sure like Metro and all those guys were on it, but like, it's. It's so interesting to see, like, uh, you know, and I just can maybe I can't think of an example right now off the top of my head, but it's not the producers that are sculpting. I mean, the producers are sculpting and, and kind of molding the sound, but it's almost like, you know, it's just like what you said, Paul. It's like you have to be ushered in by someone to make an impact and honestly man and this this is this is no um this is no slider dig but i honestly cannot tell difference between a lot of the styles of these guys either like that's the thing exactly exactly that's what i have the problem with right now is i just can't figure out what's what it's what i call disposable art so there is no brand defining musician behind that there's only a handful of those like you said metro boom and dj mustard you know, yeah. there was a uh, Shorty Red, and you know, yeah. a couple, couple of the like really dope southern producers who who got had a stamp. You know what I mean? That did the Ti's, the Jeezy's, DJ Toon. You know what I mean? Yeah, but yep. you know, like you said, in this digital era, at least especially within the last maybe three to five years, you can't differentiate one southern hip hop producer from another because yeah. almost every record is on south. Same sound library, just different, different, yeah. different uh, patterns, different instrument sequences. You know, and uh, like you said, if you're not coming in from the bottom up with these guys, you're not getting to work. And it's no different than me coming out of Brooklyn and somebody saying, yo, I do beats or whatever, and, and beat miners got the whole boot camp a lot. You know, so it is what it is. Right. <laughs> so, uh, I guess I guess my thing saying? is, like, I, I need for that to change because I, I'd like to think that I'm not, like, too much of an old man and I, and I like to keep up with things and, you know, stay up on what's fresh and what's current. But, like, I can't even figure out, like, who to like or, like, who to... <laughs> Who, who is it that's like who came up with the sound? Like, who are the originators of all this? Like I don't know. Maybe I'm just not plugged into it enough. But I just can't. I just can't right. grab onto it say, and like be I a real fan. The earlier, you know? the earlier OGs of Southern trap 
production, I definitely would give it up to Shorty Red, DJ Toon. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's somebody else. I'm just, my brain is on freeze right now. Well, Smurf, like, you know, Collar Park and all the shit he did, you know, uh, with, uh, with, with Yin Yang right, right. and... I mean, all the shit that he did and for Jeezy. You got to give it up to Lil Yeah, like all those guys. That, but but I mean <laughs> specifically, like in the last like three to five years, like what the, you know the sound. I don't know. I don't know. That's what I mean. Like I barely even know who Metro Boomer was until maybe a year ago. So. Right. right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because yeah. it's like like you said, if it wasn't for the tagging, remember producer tags? Like, oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. Um, in the 2000s, you had like Just Blazing and just a couple people tagging their records. If it wasn't for like a Metro Boom and tagging his records, I wouldn't know his record from yeah. anyone else's. Man, I give it up to somebody like Lil Jon. And I don't disrespect and, uh, I'm just being honest. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah, totally. I give it up to somebody like Lil Jon and, and his partner, uh, Cersei, Emperor Cersei, um, for mm-hmm. doing uh, not even the East Side Boy shit or, or, or none, of that, none of that real Southern shit. For us, Lil John and Emperor Cersei was was top of the list because of a um a Method Man Capleton remix that they did. Oh, that's Ooh, right. Yeah. Man, that yeah. motherfucker was so hard, Ringing. man. And they did that shit right here, dog. That's yeah, man. that's that shit right there. Well, that's, that's just real. like no one knows John was a, like a reggae DJ in town right. for years and years. For years. years. Right. Yeah. yeah. Big hell. time. <laughs> WRFG. Right. For real. Yeah, that's hell. That's hell. Right. <laughs> So what do you right. got going on now, Paul? You you got a you got a stable of artists or a few artists you're working with? Like what what what's going on currently yeah. with you now? What's bring us up to date with that? Absolutely. Well, well for starters, I just rewind back to something you brought up uh, a little earlier about me doing you know some rock stuff around 2006. This is after I did some work on DJ Clue's last album, The Professional Part Three. I did a record. For them, for him, for Rockefeller Records with Fat John Remy. This is right before they had parted ways in business for a little while, and before she got locked up. Did a song called "You Don't Really Want It." I was on that album. I incorporated my company, Divine Entertainment, and I actually did two deals within a year and a half. But again, under the radar. One was a Universal Republic. And I had signed a mill for me, Rockefeller Records, for a second. And I was executive producing an album on her. And um, I was going to put it out. But um, uh, because my deal back then with Universal Republic was straight distribution, they didn't give us any marketing dollars. I bounced over to a subsidiary of Baby Grand Records. Y'all, know, y'all heard of Baby Grand Records, right? Oh, yeah. Yes, sir. They put out a lot of hip hop. Yep. Yeah. So I was going to put it out with them. We had a budget committed. But they were delayed on on the, the the budget that we committed to, and I had production for me, Easy Moby, a few other people, and I had uh, even a Keisha Cole feature in the works wow. for a single. Oh shit! And all that, yeah, all that fell to the wayside because Baby Grand didn't commit to the budget. They had just did a deal with Nori, and they put out uh, a single with Nori, produced by I think Swizz. And they had Pharrell, paid Pharrell to do some records. And I mind, this is independent, Baby Grand Records. You're paying top dollar for these type of people to do this. Absolutely. So obviously that's where your money went. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, they blew through your budget, man. (laughs) Basically, so like a three to four month period of time wasted, record sitting, I just pulled the plug. You know what I mean? Mm. And because she was frustrated, and it wasn't her fault or my fault, you know, I just let her out of the deal agreement that I had with her. We're still friends to this day, but, you know, she's That's out dope. south in North Carolina just 
doing other things now. Oh, and okay. then I did a deal with a, a friend of mine who worked at MTV to do deal with the, the project you mentioned, Fat Kid Dodgeball. It was like an EP we did, and we released two singles that kind of worked, got service to to, to college independent um, radio um, in kind of the rock genre um, with Fat Kid Dodgeball. And it did pretty well. And then um, this was around, wow, maybe 2009, 2008, I think. And um, that's when I went down south for a little while. Then it came back in 2012. Uh, and I did my deal with E1, which I'm still doing business with to this day. Um, and I did a couple of independent singles and EPs that I executive produced. One was with an uh, artist out of Brooklyn named Patrick Toussaint. Um, I met him through some people out of Miami. He, right now he's running around with Swiss Beast and Swiss Beast manager. I dropped the EP called Truth back in like 2014. Did pretty well. Um, he kind of runs heavily in the fashion circles. If you Google him, he runs okay. with like, uh, he runs with like the owner of the trap star clothing. And he runs with, uh, uh, he's a legendary, um, tour dancer. Um, uh, gosh, what's this guy's name? Have y'all seen that, that Apple commercial with the dude dancing? It's in black. Oh and white. yeah. 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 That's Patrick's best friend. Yeah, oh. yeah, he's a well-known dancer. He's dancing for Madonna, a bunch of people. I just that's a dope commercial. Hmm. But, that's a dope commercial. Yeah, real dope commercial. He's a really good dude too, real down to earth. Um, and then I put out a single with this artist named Drift from East Orange, New Jersey. He he was known in you know in the upcoming East Orange circle as far as uh, you know hip hop artists. He's the freestyle battles on on one six before they you know fell fell you know to the wind and yeah. Uh, he was featured. In, he was featured as an actor in, in two videos: DJ Khaled's "Never Surrender" and Yo Gotti's "Don't Come Around." The first season huh. of Power, the character that Jamie Hector plays is borrowed from his real life persona by the writers. Oh, you know wow. when they, when they, the first season they say "Drift from EO," that's Drift. That's where they get it from. The writers knew Drift and they borrowed his persona for the story, but they didn't cast him in it, so they cast Jamie Hector. <laughs> oh shit! Did he get a check? So, mind you, Jamie Hector has. Jamie didn't heck it didn't make it to like the second and third season, I think. Yeah, but you know. Yeah. Wow. That's so it. I'm executive producing his album. Okay. Um it's called King Kojo. We dropping two singles actually in a couple of weeks, March seventeenth, that's twenty fourth, two videos. Oh wow. Um, okay. Still working with A Z. I was supposed to do some we did some stuff for Do or Die too for like three, four years now, but I don't know when it's coming out. Yeah, that was, <laughs> well, that was like a remix project or something, wasn't it? Uh, 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 oh, no, no, that was something else that I saw. So, this, do, uh, do or Die 2, and yeah. then there was so, a remix know, I project with, I, too, right? I did right? a couple of AZ singles in the last couple of years. 15th anniversary. I did Red Magic for AZ, and I did uh, another song called Back to Myself featuring Socha, artists from Paris. That oh, used to okay. All right, dope. Yeah. Dope. So, yeah, um, so, so, uh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so I was just saying, like, as far as that, and then, of course, I collaborated with Main Source on this reunion project, you know, as y'all know. Um, basically, I was visiting Kid Cut, who was a good friend of mine years, you know, um, and I was out in Canada. He was doing some DJ residencies out there, and we was kicking it. And this is before Fight died, and I said, yo, y'all got to do an anniversary. You know, July is going to be the anniversary, the 25th anniversary of Main Source. I said, you got to do something. He was like, I'm with it. So we figured out, we we traced back the right to the masters from, 
Wild Pitch all the way up to the current distributor, all the way up to the vital rights with the family, you know, the McKenzie family, because a lot of people don't know that when the group broke up, you know, the McKenzie's had the rights to do any, you know, anything with the main source project pr- product, you know, in terms of its name, usage, and licensing. So we worked out something with a vinyl curating company out of Colorado named Vinyl and Please. They have a subscribership of um, uh, vinyl collectors, you know what I mean? Every month they do a record of the month. So we worked it out where February they made Breaking Adams the record of the month, and we licensed it, we, we repackaged it, mastered it, Colored vinyl, lyric sheet, you know, the whole nine, you know what I mean? And it, it went very well. And the, and, and, and credit to the vinyl company, um, they came up with the idea, because usually they do what's called tastemaker parties, where they just have like a vinyl party with someone DJing and have like drinks and spirits and food and stuff like that in a couple of different markets to promote the records they, sh- they um, release. But because of the respect they have for the group as a main source and knowing that they had done a show together in over 10 years, and that show was like 10 years ago in Toronto as a group, they was like, how do you feel about doing a reunion concert? And we was like, yo, that would be dope. Let's just see if yeah. everybody would be on board. So, you know, me and Lars was always cool. You know, we weren't the best of friends, but, you know, just respected each other as, as industry, you know, friends and stuff like that and respecting each other's work. So when I reached out to him and he knew that me and Kev was cool, and him and Kev was cool, even since the time they had broken up. Right. Because, you know, all of the stuff, all of the stuff that happened was more to the family side. Even Kev, you know, was affected by that. Right. You know, without putting too much out there. So Kev and Lodge was okay. You know what I'm saying? They just was kind of just doing their own thing. So when this came about and then the vinyl release came about, you know, you know, made sure that <clears throat> the company covered all the expenses. So everybody was able to eat. Long story short, <laughs> and, yeah, dope. Okay, and do the show and put out the record, and you know, here we are. So you know, I'm just honored to have been a part of that. You know, I basically helped administrate the whole process from the label to the art, the mastering, the the sequence of the um, wow. packaging, and you know, I, I help administrate the concert. It, they did a sold out show on February first at SOBs. We that shit looked crazy too. Evening. That concert looked like it was it official. Was, it was incredible. We we booked Just Blaze's opening DJ. Mass Appeal filmed the whole thing. Mm. It was it was amazing. I couldn't have asked for a better night in hip hop music, man. And to be not just to not just to attend it, but to, uh, help me put that process together. Right. What did I say earlier, guys? Can't nobody tell me nothing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I feel right now. Don't talk to me, man. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> So, so Paul, I, I imagine that you had to to, to work a number of months, uh, kind of behind the scenes, probably before Absolutely. you put the any any sort of Absolutely. proposal to anyone. Year in the process, like okay, 10, 10 okay, months, like ten months. Yep, so that's a pretty sensitive situation in the background. Too fine for the masters, all the way up to the end result. <laughs> wow, that's Dang. crazy, man. Well, like ten, quietly, quietly. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Because it's better to do things in silence until it's time, you know, instead of putting too much ripples in the water too soon. You well, know you I mean? have so, to these days. And honestly, it's the only way you can make a real impact because, like, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it's like, bam, main source, 25th anniversary, vinyl being released. There's going to be a main source reunion show. Everybody's like, holy shit, what the fuck is going on? There's a special 45 yeah. in it. I mean, it's like, oh, God. I wonder how many subscribers they yeah. got from that record alone. 
<laughs> uh, It'd be interesting. Just, yeah, they've definitely got more subscribers, guaranteed, guaranteed, yeah, guaranteed. Because they did a good job with the marketing. It, you know, the blogs hit it up. You know, they got some good coverage on online. So, oh yeah, yeah. They, you know, they pay for advertising on digital advertising, all that. You know, they gave me the scope of all of the stuff that they do. And that company's really dope. You should look out for them. Yeah. And the best part about them that I like is that they they they're very they're curators of music, all genres. So you get May Source this month, then next month is something completely different. It's not like they just do hip hop. You right. know what I mean? And they don't just do any hip hop either. You know what I mean? So No, no, I, I think it was they're in real the, taste, they're real tastemakers. I like that. Yeah, I think it was in the Juan Epp interview uh that, that you were on where someone mentioned that they weren't necessarily fans when it originally came out. Like they kind of discovered the record on their own or um It's true. It's true. Uh, okay. Six months before we spoke, well, well, yeah, like, like they said about like six months ago. So repeat the time me and Kevin was doing what we were doing until we got to that point. Uh-oh, my battery's warning me because I'm on my cell phone. Hold on, let me plug it up. Okay. <laughs> uh, what you call it? Um, they, yeah, I think up until when we actually put it out, they said they discovered it like maybe six months prior. Wow, just six. Oh, that's, they loved it. that's crazy. That's dope, man. I, yeah. I, I, love, I love hearing stories about because that. Because they're, they're younger. The, the people that operate the company and all yeah. that, they're younger, you know? Yeah. But that's yeah. dope, though. Hell yeah, absolutely. Because they respected it. Yeah, no doubt. That's dope, man. I feel like we're in a really good spot right now. Like, I mean, I, I know shit's a little crazy just as far as, you know, pop music goes and, you know, what, what, what you hear when you flip yeah. on the radio. But, I mean... It's just so dope to see all of these special projects and, you know, these things come out and people not being prohibited like they were. I mean, can you imagine trying to pull that off like, you know, 15 years ago, Paul? Like, it would have been, Yeah, you know, I know. You know? I know. And what I love is that, you know, there's somewhat of a, we're in somewhat of a renaissance age where even though, you know, contemporary hip-hop as we know it, commercial hip-hop as we know it, it's still a gamut of the things that we may not always agree with, you know, on a corporate level. But there's people who are feeling like, yo, we're going to start changing the climate of the industry as tastemakers. And these are the things that are happening. These are the movements right. that are happening. Things like this, yeah. things like Tribe coming back out. It was just dope to see that in the last six months to a year, yeah, you know. Absolutely. J. Cole, you got Kendrick coming back out. You know Nas going to come back out. It's yeah, going to yeah. be dope. It's going to be dope. Oh, yeah. That's what's up. Speaking of, can you, can you speak on anything you might have uh, some placements on production-wise, Paul, or do you not want to jinx it? Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Wait, hold up. You're breaking up. Oh, 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 okay. Can you hear me, guys? No, yeah. Can you hear us? Yeah. It's crazy. Hold on. I don't want to lose y'all. Sorry. <laughs> Can you hear me? Yeah. yeah. Can you hear me? It's for some reason I'm hearing you, but it's like it's it's sounding like you know one of those digital glitches. Okay. I can't explain it. You, you want me to call you back real quick? Uh, I want to interrupt the recording. What's that? It, it, it'll be all right. I'm going to stitch you back together. I'll, I'll I'll make it all seamless. Let me call you back real quick. Uh, all right. And we'll, right. we'll wrap right it back. up. All right. Okay. That's funny. I thought he was just, you know, like. Son. Yeah, right. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yes, sir. All right. Is that better? Much better. Yeah. Uh, okay, cool. Now, what was the last thing I said when I said right? Because I couldn't really hear you. Well, that's what, that's what's funny. <laughs> I, I thought I thought you were not answering the question that I asked you. So it was it was it was no actually, no. It was actually, I just said right because I just heard voices. You know how you sometimes you say right just to to, yes. to, say, to acknowledge that you hear the person saying something. Yes, I didn't really hear you. All what what yes. was the question? The, the, the question was <laughs> it was funny. It was actually a good laugh. Uh, the uh, the question was is, do you have any um, I guess uh, placements or or, or or production coming up on uh, on anything that you can speak about and you know uh, in the near future? Oh, or do we just need to stay tuned? Oh yeah yeah. Uh, does it matter what genre of music? No, no, no. What's new around okay. the corner for you, man? Let's talk about that. Okay, okay. Quiet is kept. I'm working with a relative of Michael Jackson on some new music, and it's it's not pop. Okay. Yeah, like it's gonna be like alternative reggae, like mm, dope, dope okay. organic stuff. Okay. Then I'm working with this artist named Colaire Barner out of London. It's kind of like D'Angelo meets Bruno Mars. Hmm. Okay. All live instruments, horns, guitars, organs, bass, strings, like songwriting, you know, a little rem- reminiscent of Lauren's solo album, but, but no rapping, singing, you know, but gotcha. soulful, full instrumentation type stuff. And then um, I'm actually, he's shooting a short film in April. He'll be coming into New York for... That we're actually casting that, so it's going to be dope. Okay. Dope. And then um, Drift, you know, the artist Drift, I used to Right. It's probably the only hip hop project. I won't say only hip hop. That's not fair. That's not fair. Um, because uh, still got AZ Door Dot Two. That's in the wind. I have no idea. You know. Um, okay. Hopefully Nas, because you know we've been in communication, and uh, right. I-, I hope I'm not putting this too f- too. F- um, forward thinking into the wind, but a possible main source album. Oh, <laughs> y'all hearing that first? That could be very. But it, it, it's looking good. It's looking good. That could be very interesting. As a fan, I would look forward yeah, to that. Like absolutely, no other. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. But sure. the energy is great. They, they're going to be doing a lot of touring this year, just off the strength. Saw that the bad blood project. is behind them there. Yeah, they're going to be doing Europe. If you're going to be in New York, we're doing um, uh, in Queens, doing the um, summer stage uh, in Queens, June 11th in Flushing. So look out for that. Y'all going to be in New York. Come through. Oh, shit. Um, Mm. I think they're doing Unity Festival in Canada in July. I want to get them to do... um, what about uh, A- A3C? A3C? Yeah, A3C Atlanta. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, Need to do that. Yeah, yeah. We got. <laughs> I, I want to try to get them A3C because I know y'all enjoy yourself. Oh yeah. Uh, I, I'll definitely keep y'all on the loop. You know, y'all ain't right, gonna miss right. nothing if they're in, right. in the city. You know what I mean? No doubt. And um, and then they're doing Europe for like 22 dates starting in late summer. So uh-huh. it's a blessing, man. God is good, man. Absolutely. Well, man, Paul, we've taken yeah. absolutely enough of your time. I'm looking at the clock right now, and this this thing's. Uh, <laughs> About to hit two hours, yeah, so we're coming I, up on two of yeah, them things. Yeah, I, I no really, doubt, I really no appreciate doubt. your time, man. This was this was really fun. I hope you had sure. a good time. I appreciate the insight. Yeah, 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 me too. I did, man, and I got to air out some things I never did my entire career. So thank you. Oh, Dope. good, good, Dope. good. We we appreciate it when folks be uh are candid and when they're comfortable doing so. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, um, absolutely. And you know? sorry, the phone cut off. You know, hopefully you can piece it all together. Oh yeah, yeah, no, but, yeah, um, no, yeah we'll fix it. You won't even be able to tell. Yeah, it'll be. It'll yeah. be good. So what I'll say is, um, in closing, thank you both. Um, keep in touch. If there's anything you guys need from me, you know, it's done. You know, if you need product, you know, I know did did uh, you guys didn't get the vinyl right? The vinyl for the main source uh, vinyl. Yeah, I, I did not place an order yeah. for that. No. Okay. All right. Um. Let me see if I can arrange to get some. Uh, send me a shipping address, and I'll see what I can do for you guys. Because yeah, I know they, um, you got it. They had they they already did their tastemaker list, but you know if I can, um, I may have to do some buybacks. You know, depending on how many you got. Because again, because it's a subscribership, it's not like retail. Yeah, right. you know what I mean. So they right. press up according to what, what the demand, and then that's it. It's very exclusive. So well, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll float you the dough. What, I'll float you the dough for it. Whatever. Well, we'll figure that out. Don't worry about that. <laughs> Yeah, no problem. No okay. problem. Beautiful. And then, um, what you call it? Um, uh, again, March 17th, dropping two singles with Drift. One's called Play With Me. The other one's called um, The Bag. Videos will be dropped on Vivo. Then hopefully we get them on the networks you know, within a couple of months after some numbers on streaming. Right. Um, Claire Barner. Um, and I, I, I guess I let the cat out of the bag. So the artist's name is um, Keith Jackson. That I'm referring to. Okay, that is a, a first cousin of the late great MJ. You know, but oh, it's an alternative style artist, really dope. Really dope. Right. I'm looking Beautiful. forward to see the results of that. Hell yeah! You know, y'all hear about that first because I've never discussed this. This is like literally in the works as of within these two months. Exclusive. This is All, right. To happen. All right. All right. <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. So, 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 Paul, very, what about? It's going to uh, be a very collaborative type of a, a, a production. Like he plays guitar, he writes. It's going to be dope. It's going to be dope. Dope. What what about uh, social media, Instagram? Where, where can they go buy something yes. that uh, all, all that good stuff? Yes, um, for those who still want to get a copy of the Vinyl Me Please release of May Source Breaking Adams' 25th anniversary project, you can go to vinylmeplease.com. Uh, you have to become a subscriber, you know, because it's the record of the month. It was the record of the month for February. We're in March now, but you know, uh, I'm sure if. if if they have um, stock available there, honor anybody who wants that. And then um, uh, follow me online, babypaulmusic.com. That's B-A-B-Y-P-A-U-L-M-U-S-I-C.com. Um, Twitter and Instagram, at B-P-Z. That's B-P-Z-Y. And uh, that's pretty much it, man. Uh, thank you, guys, and you right. know, appreciate the support. We got Beautiful. you. All right. All right. Paul, thank you, man. We really appreciate it, man. Have a good week. Stay up. Keep working, man. You too. We, we appreciate it. Yes, sir. Blessings. Blessings, my brothers. And uh, yeah, definitely send me that link. What's the drop? Yeah, I look for it. I'm going to oh, share it. No absolutely. Doubt. You got it. We'll be in touch. All right. For sure, right. brother. Thank Peace. you, my man. All right. All right, Meeks. Well. Well, well. <laughs> Which exclusive do you want to rattle off that we just got there? Uh, oh, I mean, a new main source album, by the way. I mean, yeah, and <laughs> it, Keith Jackson is a cousin. Keith Jackson. My, I mean, okay, this is this hey, is listen. getting a little beat a little too much. Just, just, just like, just like, just like the one and only baby Paul said, you can't tell me nothing. Can't tell me. Can't nothing. tell me nothing. Right I think now. that's. I think that's that book title right now, there. Oh, we didn't ask him officially. Nah, I think, I that's, think it. that's it. Though. That's it. Okay. I think that's right. it. So right. I think I picked that. up on that. I'm with that. Yeah, I'm yeah, with yeah, that. yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> yeah, homie. All right, my man. Well, this is Southern Vanguard Radio. It this is. is that twice a week shit. Twice a week meeks. Twice a week dough. Every Tuesday and Thursday. Smithsonian great. Smithsonian great all day. We out. Peace.